Welcome to The Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Dunham, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode. If you're new here, I'm so happy that you found the show. I'm Helen Denham. I'm a self-mastery mentor for women, and I'm here to help you alchemize your obstacles to lead a happier, more successful life that feels closer to heaven on earth. We have Laura Plum joining us today to talk about living your Dharma, Ayurveda, radical self-compassion, and other themes surrounding the soul's journey and truly coming home to ourselves. I'm not going to say too much else in the intro because I really want you guys to just soak in Laura's wisdom. She's going down as one of my favorite guests of all time. She, she really brought me to tears a couple of times just because she has a way of so poignantly saying what we all need to hear to be more gentle with ourselves and to just surrender to our experience in in a big way. So enjoy this episode. I think you guys are just going to love it. Uh, You can find Laura while you're listening on Instagram at Laura Plum and I'm at Helen Denham underscore. So let us know what your biggest takeaways are and send it along to a buddy as you're listening if you feel like they might benefit from what you're learning, what you're hearing. Thank you so much for being here and I will catch you on the flip side. I always uh, love to ask guests is how do you like to start your days off? Do you have any rising routines or rituals that you go to? (laughs) Yeah, of course. I love, I just love to start my day acknowledging the day, you know, just like, what am I hearing? What am I seeing? What is the light like? Is there bird song? Is it quiet? I just love to tune in. I, we have this practice uh, of waking up in the morning and with the rising sun and saying, good morning, sun. It's sort of like, Imagine that you're five <laughs> and you don't know that the sun for sure will come back every day. So it's kind of like, thanks for coming back and thanks for giving us another day. And I, I really feel like cultivating a relationship with all of nature, including the sun, including the light, the birds, the trees, the plants, the wind, it just makes life so rich. So I start there. Meditation, my Ayurveda Dinacharyas, and then I usually jump on my bike and go for a big a big bike ride, you know, or I go to the gym and work out. So beautiful. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty extensive. I've at this point, I'm really fierce about my time. Nothing happens until I've done my morning practices. And it's, you know, it's a couple of hours by the time I've done everything, but it matters. It's it's essential for me. Totally. How did that come about that you started to really prioritize that? Did you were you raised in that kind of environment? Or were you led into more of this practice as time went on and realizing how important it was going to be for your well-being. Well, I wonder if anyone can relate or if you can relate. I feel like I I, I don't want to say anything that sounds negative about my parents because I love them and appreciate them. But I feel like it was always a little bit of chaos. <laughs> there were five mm-hmm. kids. My mother had five children in seven years and I was the oldest. And so it just, it feels like it was, yeah, run, go. You know, that's how I feel like it started. So I I did have to, I did, you know, you move slowly into it in the sense that it's one step at a time. Ayurveda suggests that we only ever do one thing at a time to build momentum. So, you know, I think it's important that we don't get frustrated, that we don't try to do everything at once, but you know, you, you embed a habit and when it's fully embedded, you do the next thing. And then it gets to a point where, you know, it's like brushing your teeth. If you don't do it, your teeth feel grotty. So it it's a, it gets to a point where you really notice your day is so different. The quality of your day is so beautiful, 
so spacious, so clear, so kind of nourishing when you start the day in whatever way is right for you. But when you start the day, it isn't just self-care because it is self-care, but it's, it's sort of tuning in to life itself. So it's life care, right? It's feeling yourself one with the pulse of life, the vibration of life, the song of life. And I feel like that's a gift back to life as well as a gift to yourself. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> yes. A big theme coming up for me this last year has been um, the word devotion. I've just been hyper-focused on that and and using that as like the under underlying layer to everything. So I love that you describe it as a an honoring of life itself. It's so beautiful. And it's so interesting that you grew up in a house with so many siblings too, because I find for a lot of us on a spiritual path or any kind of path like this, it often takes chaos to breed peace coming out of that because we don't really have a choice at some point. It's like, okay, if I'm going to have a regulated nervous system or a healthy life, I'm going to have to implement these lifestyles. So I'd love to know more about your journey in general into your practices into Ayurveda. Like what led you here? May I just first tell you that what you just said sparked a memory of two quotes mm-hmm. first nietzsche said you still ha- you you must have a certain remaining chaos it's like you ha- you must still have a certain chaos in order to give birth to a dancing star mm. there must remain a, at least there must remain some chaos to give birth to a dancing star i mean what is a star but you know fire in the sky all the vibration and it all hits each other Wow, we get a star. So, yeah, I mean, chaos, I think that's a good point that out of chaos can come the impulse to create light. <clears throat> and Dr. David Frawley once said something that I, that has always stuck with me, which is devotion is the necessary ingredient for any true healing to occur. Mm. And I think that I think that requires some thought. It's like, well, why would that be? <laughs> but once we put ourselves into a state of devotion, I'm, I feel a devotional appreciation for nature, for life, for the divine mother or father, the creative power of this universe. We are then in a place of humility and gratitude. And that is a, that brings us back to the state of awareness that is the source of healing. So I love that you said that about devotion. It's very essential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How does that show up in a in a real way on a daily basis for you? How do you practice devotion? How do you live it? Someone asked me this question yesterday. How do you be in the heart? How do you be in the heart? Yeah. Well, just be. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, you know, some people will start their day with a gratitude list. If you need tools, use use the tools. But I think you get to a point where it's just, you're just always in that state, you know, it is a beautiful day. The sun is shining. Or for some people, maybe the snow is falling. Wow, that's also a miracle. The water evaporated, heavy water lifted up to the sky. I feel like water offering itself in devotion back to the light got too heavy and came back down and made a world. Without water, we don't have life. Wow. I mean, the world is extraordinary. So I did have a wonderful teacher named Don Miguel Ruiz, and he probably is who I should give credit to for this. But he would talk about there's the first attention and the second attention. And the first attention is where we usually have our mind, our thoughts, our awareness. And it's on the drama of the world. And the drama of the world is always grabbing. It's like a fire engine that goes by with its siren. And what's going on, you know? It's always pulling us outward. 
But then there's a second attention, and that's the quieter attention. It's about being aware of the gentle breeze that's flowing through the trees, right? We just pay attention to nature. It quiets the mind. And in that state, we're in a devotional state. So just keep keep remember like keep coming back to that attention. Keep bringing your mind back there. Before you know it, that's a muscle. And you strengthen that muscle. <laughs> right? You know, it's like earlier I was at the gym and we we're trying to strengthen those the core. <laughs> at first you're like, I'm not sure where that is. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're talking about. Yeah. But as it strengthens, right, it's there and you can use it. And the more you practice, the more you live it. This is why you asked me about how I got into Ayurveda. This is why I love Ayurveda, because I do feel that in the larger scheme, the bigger picture of Ayurveda is that it's a practice that teaches us that, that nature loves you and nature is seeking to nourish you always. Nature evolved to take care of you, right, mm -hmm. to feed you to provide you fields where you can play, right? To delight you, to give you beauty and bounty and to recognize that you live in that world and you belong to that world and you are that too, you know? So it's 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 exciting and, you know, Ayurveda, some people say it's like taking yoga off the mat. It's taking that awareness, breathing in and breathing out, that awareness of your life, that awareness of that pulse, right? Your heartbeat, in every part of your body, your heart beating with the beat of Mother Earth herself, you know, and then taking that into the kitchen and making yourself a meal that is nourishing, or taking that out for a walk <laughs> and mm -hmm. noticing all the plants and flowers that are nourishing at least your sight, your vision, your imagination. Um, so I think it's just a choice. Do you want to look up or you want to look down? You want to look at reality or you want to look at drama? You want to fill your mind with nourishment or you want to fill it with poison? You know, every thought, every breath, every moment is a choice. And in time, you know, obviously there's people who may need a little more help, a little more tools for that. But it's a practice. And when we do it, it, it gives rich, rich rewards. Mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like you just said that in such a practical and sacred way, married together. Speaking of quotes, it reminds me of the Einstein quote where he says, either you can see everything as a miracle or nothing as a miracle. And um, mm -hmm. speaking of optimism, I, I mm -hmm. too have found that that is such a conscious choice to make that either you wake up and you're like, thank you, God, for another day, or you're like, oh my God, something, what's coming down, what's coming down the hill here. Um, and that choice will breed yeah. everything. And I love that you describe it too, as like flexing a muscle, because I think we live in um, a culture now where we get so much immediate satisfaction just from the speed of everything that sometimes this, <laughs> this practice takes those reps to kind of sink into that. And then all of a sudden you get this reward of, I feel like kind of what you're describing is almost like a flow state that, you know, surfers mm. experience, athletes experience, meditators experience. And at some point that certainly becomes your life and you're flowing, but of course there are going to be challenges that come at us too, like daily. So mm -hmm. how do you move through the, the mundane challenges that come through on a daily basis? Like when you're hit with an obstacle or a challenge, how do you navigate that? Yeah, it's it's a great question. One of my early teachers, you know, she had a phone call and and she got off the phone call and she sort of swallowed hard and she was getting teary and I, and it was this this it's so childish that I even ever had this thought, but it was kind of like, why? How could anything be wrong with this person who's so enlightened, you know? Mm -hmm. And and I, 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 so it it became something that I when I used to teach yoga, teacher training, yoga therapy training, 
would say at the graduation, you know, just because you're now a yoga teacher or you're a meditator, doesn't mean life stops happening. It doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean people won't suffer. It doesn't mean that you can fix the suffering, right? It doesn't mean we have all the answers for others either. Another example is I had an experience that happened about seven years ago, and it was so like gutting. It just broke my brain. It broke my heart. It broke my life entirely. And I cried myself a river. I cried myself an ocean. And it, when it was all over and somebody came to me and told me about their own pain and their own suffering, I was like, didn't I hurt enough to like hurt for everybody and there should be no more suffering? Like, I feel like I just took it all. <laughs> that should be gone now. But people still suffer. And sadly. Yeah. And, you know, and we will too. I mean, there still will be, as you said, life's challenges. And I just think, what all of these practices teach us is how to stand like a tree in the midst of it all, our arms wide open like branches, right? And let the wind blow through, right? To be so grounded in our practice that we can stand open to it. You know, there's so many examples. Buddha said, you know, life will always give you joy and suffering, gain and pain, gain and loss, to, you know, to be to have equanimity, stand like a giant great tree in the midst of it all. Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita, you know, Krishna says to him, stand, stand in your yoga, stand in your truth, stand in the essence of you, and just let it let it come. Because hmm. I think when it comes, too, they always have lessons for us. That hmm. moment when I cried myself an ocean, it helped me really, 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 really root in to my values. And to really discern what's mine and what isn't mine. This is what I am. This is who I am. This is why I'm alive. This is what I stand for. And I will stand for it. And nobody can ever take that from me. Nobody. Right? So the challenges can come to really strengthen you and help you find your inner metal. I'm not saying it's easy. I, I don't I don't want to diminish um, what we have to go through. But we go through... You know, our, our challenges don't come to make us suffer. They come to help us grow. And if we can accept it like that, that yes, we may have to flop ourselves on the bed sometimes and just cry. And yes, we might need the help of a friend to come over at night and just hold our hand and be with us. You know, yes, we're going to need those. That helps sometimes. But that's what makes us human too. And I think that's what helps soften us and make us more compassionate. But to know that it's not here to necessarily make you suffer it's not here because you're necessarily a bad person and you did something wrong, this life or a past life. Maybe you did, and maybe it's here to make you realize that. <laughs> but other sometimes it's just here to help you grow. I always say karma is here to help you unfold dharma. You will find the truth of who you are if you're willing to go through those challenges. They come. There's an intelligence to even that. You know, there's an intelligence even. There's love even. Right, Ramakrishna, great saint, saint and sage of the last century, used to say Kali was his beloved. Kali, who chops off the heads and chops off the arms, right, and slays. Why would somebody who seems so bloody and violent be so loving? He said she's the most loving of all because she comes to bring you home to the truth of who you are, right? In the iconography of her, oftentimes she's got a toe about to step on a what looks like a dead character on the ground, but it's actually her her beloved Shiva. 
She's stepping on the heart of Shiva. She's bringing us back to the heart, to the essence, to the truth of who we are. Sometimes we got to slay. <laughs> got to slay those illusions. Yep. We got to slay those attachments. Sometimes it's the thing we love the most. We, I was talking to somebody yesterday. She's been volunteering. She loves volunteering. She feels like it's what she's alive for, volunteering, teaching yoga to people who are uh, dealing with cancer. And all of a sudden, the place where she was working got closed down. She feels like it pulled out a piece of her heart. Mm. So, yeah, that, there you go. That's a great example of a kind of karma. Even the things we do which are we feel are good in service to others, sometimes even that gets taken from us. So we can realize even with that, you are still consciousness itself, alive to know and to evolve consciousness. Mm. Hard lessons, but saying, important I'm ones. Like, yeah, I'm grabbing onto. I'm loving Ooh. it. Um, I just feel I'm so grateful for your take on this. It's very comforting and healing to hear you say, as a healer yourself, and to everyone else, you know, in this path of leadership around healing in general, that we are human. It's not. It's not this journey to perfection, so that we can emit this image of like, here's how you have this perfect life. So, thank you for reminding us of that. And I love what you just said about karma unfolding your dharma so what is your perception of dharma and for people who haven't really been familiarized with this terminology what does dharma mean to you you're a great interviewer you're so good at hearing oh. and listening and thank holding you. on those nuggets oh and such a beautiful voice you have helen thank you thank you thanks for doing this mm -hmm. So can you ask me the question again? Because I'm not, yeah, I didn't hang I, on I to was, it. <laughs> um, remembering you're saying karma is unfolding your dharma. Yes. So could you lean into that a little bit? Help us understand what dharma kind of means. Oh, great question. Yes, the dharma. Oh, how much do you want me to? <laughs> <laughs> well, dharma, I mean, from, from my understanding, it's just like our life path, but I know that there's so much more to it than that. So how do you perceive dharma when you hear that word? So in... In yoga, in the yoga sutras, there's a word dhyana, dhyana, d-h-y-a-n-a, dhyana. It's meditation, dhyana. D, D gives us this idea of something that we're going to merge with. We're going to merge our awareness with that dharma. Dharma, we're going to merge with what R I ri, and the tip of the tongue, the roof of the mouth, and the Sanskrit R ri. It's actually considered a vowel. That is this root term, this root sound that is said to mean, or to be the sound of, the foundational, fundamental vibration of existence itself. So from ri, we get ritam, or, you know, the, the, the vibration of the universe. We get amrit, so when we merge with the ritam, we get the nectar of immortality. And all of these words that have that r there in it, ri, drishti, for instance, uh, you know, it's basically about how do we merge with the fundamental vibration of the of the universe itself. So how do we merge with, become one with natural law, cosmic law, right? How do we merge with it? How do we have right alignment with it? How do we so attune with it that we are the unfolding of that creative power itself, right? So the karmas are the ways in which we block the ri, or the ritam, and the dharmas are the way we fold, and so uh, merge with it and unfold it. That's sort of a fundamental look at it. If we think of how the word dharmas emerged and evolved, there's sort of two meanings. We could say on the one hand, there's swadharma, 
SVA, Swadharma. Swa is in Swadhisthana, if you're familiar with the Sanskrit words, names of of the of the of the chakras. So that's your second chakra, the swa, where the self becomes established. Stan is this established in this body. Swa meaning the essence, your essence, Dharma, your essential self. What is your essential nature, your true nature? So first we want to know that. But the second thing is there's the the term for the practices that we that have come that are everywhere in India and come out of India is not called Hinduism traditionally, but called Sanatana Dharma, the universal Dharma or the sort of collective Dharma. How do we live in such an alignment with nature and natural law that we not only become one with it, but that we're harmonized and creating harmony? So that's a harmony of body, mind, spirit, but it's also a harmony within your family and your relationships, a harmony with the environment, with the land, with nature. It's harmony with all. When you're one who's harmonized, you're not only not creating harm, you're creating flow. You're you're in a flow state. And so dharma has, you know, many meanings, but I think to think about what is its root meaning, to be one with the ri, the vibration of life itself, the vibration of existence itself. That's flow state. And that's, uh, you know, if you're in that state, you will unfold your right purpose. You will unfold, you know, life from the heart. That's how to be in the heart, right? Mm-hmm. To just And it's about listening. It's about using all five senses and really paying attention to the subtle realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a gentle and beautiful and rich way to live. Yes. And to participate, it... you know, f- fruitfully in the world. <laughs> Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Oh, I love that this, this description of it being like a sound vibration. It reminds me of, um, uh, I found some kind of video recently about where Om came from the mantra Om and it originating, like, correct me if I'm wrong, like in the depths of underneath the ocean, like what the sound sounds like in the, and the very depths of the ocean where there kind of is no sound. And there's this resounding, like Om at the bottom mm-hmm. of this, mm-hmm. at the sea level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like heard it coming through your microphone. That's so weird. Yeah, because I'm thinking, what is the yeah. sound under the ocean? Right. Oh, that was you. <laughs> I was like, where yeah. is that sound coming from? Yeah. Yeah. So it reminds me of that and being in that state. And also, absolutely, I love this reminder that like when you're in that heart coherence, when you're in that flow state, you can't really go wrong. And I have clients yeah. say to me sometimes, like, am I going to make the right decision here? What's my path? And I'm like, get into your heart. And you literally can't make a mistake. You can't. Yeah. And even if you yeah. do, your karma will teach you and, and you'll unblock. Yes. Anyways, that's, so they're really that's beautiful. No, yeah, there's no accident. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful that you, A, don't interrupt their karma, which is bad karma for you by telling them what you think they should do. B, drawing them back to their own heart so you're empowering them, right? Mm-hmm. And C, letting them know there are no mistakes because even if it doesn't feel good, <laughs> it's right. going to have a lesson for you. I love that. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I could just blow blow the listeners' minds a little further, <laughs> yes. the ancient Vedic sages talked about the sky as the cosmic waters, the cosmic sea, the cosmic oceans. And through microwave technology, astrophysicists are able to go now back towards the beginning of time. They can't go all the way back to the Big Bang yet. We'll see what happens with, you know, the the work they're doing in Switzerland on that. But they are using microwave technology. They can go back to a time before things, substance, before planets, before Earth. 
And as they go back, what do they hear? They hear the sound of Om. Oh my God. So in the cosmic sea, they're also hearing nothing but Om. And so the sea above, the sea below, as above, so below, below, Monday, the sages from the Rig Veda, it comes this beautiful line in the one is the all, right? In the atom is the cosmos, in the personal is the universal, as above, so below. So in the cosmic sea, so in the seas here on earth, it's the sound of Om, and they even have noted that it's in the note of B flat, which is what we're supposed to, you know, if you're doing a yoga practice, if you're doing Om, see if you can just find the note B flat, even on your phone, if you can get an app for it, and then try to tune with that. And then you truly are tuning with life before existence. That'll help you dissolve knots, right? And come back to that pre-creative power, that that place where you can truly create from the womb of existence itself. That's what Om is. And that's what it's meant to be for all of us. Right. You just literally mind blasting. Start crying. <laughs> pulling back tears. That really hit something, something else. Wow, what an amazing time to be alive. That we are watching this unfold. It's the James Webb Telescope, right? That's taken us this far back, and that happened pretty fast. They launched only a couple <laughs> years ago. Isn't that exciting? Wow, to wow. see the planets. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so mm. beautiful. Yeah, mm -hmm. coming back to that point, just about looking for the miracles of life. It's like, while there is this kind of Kali kind of destruction going on in the world, there is the unfolding of just incredible awakening and consciousness activations. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. So Popping in for a moment to chat with you guys about my private one-on-one -on -one mentorship series. This is a two-month-long container with me where we meet on a weekly basis, and it's for the woman who is really ready to initiate big change in her life. If you've set the intention to make a shift and move forward in a big way in your life, but you don't really know how to bring that vision into focus, I understand that feeling. I've been there. I've felt that confusion, that anxiety, lack of direction, and I've learned how to alchemize that discomfort and to change my life completely, which is why I'm here to show you how to do it and give you the tools that helped me completely change my life so that it feels more like heaven on earth and less like this daily struggle. So if you have been feeling like you're struggling with negative self-talk and confidence, if you've been feeling stagnant in your personal evolution, if you need help navigating a major transition in your life, maybe you wanna launch a soul-led business but don't know where to start, this is the container for you. This is where I'm gonna hold your hand and we're gonna get you to a new paradigm in two months. And changing our lives really means changing our understanding of self, which is why we're going to be doing deep subconscious work together. We're going to be instilling new habits and beliefs that support your new paradigm. And we're clearing out the old ones that don't support that highest self that you are aligning with and calling in. At the end of the day, you are the guru and we're just activating that intrinsic part of you. So if you feel like this is in alignment for you and this is really what you need, especially in this new year, just head over to HelenDenham.com. You will see where you can learn all about the mentorship and you can book a completely free non-committal power session with me for 30 minutes where we can get to know each other and decide if this is the right course of action for you. All right. Thank you so much for listening and back to the episode. Off it yeah. goes. <laughs> and it That's makes us, it's now. very humbling, isn't it? <laughs> to just realize that we're part of this like 
cosmic ecosystem and that as we're so small, but we're also, you know, source experiencing itself, which I think I was thinking about when you were describing Dharma in the first place, it's like source having the joy of experiencing and unraveling itself in every which way that it can. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. we can go in so many directions with this. I want to bring us down to earth a little bit so that we can understand a little (laughs) bit more about (laughs) Ayurveda. Well, it might go, it might go cosmic again too, which is beautiful, but what are the pillars of Ayurveda in your mind? Um, Because I know it's a connection between mind, body, and spirit. And I love that you described it as taking yoga off the mat. So for, for those of us who are new to Ayurveda, how would you describe it um, to a beginner's mind? Well, it is taking yoga off the mat and into your daily life. So how are you going to live? And what is yoga but union? How are you going to live in a way that is unifying your entire body, all of the pieces and parts of you? So we're not fragmented, but we're whole. But also, how are you going to live as part of the whole, you know, as, as one with all of nature and life itself? I think of I think some important things to think about with Ayurveda, just to, uh, for a starter course, would be one that I that I like to think of yoga as Yoga helps us understand the nature of reality. Ayurveda helps us understand the reality of nature. And that nature is intelligent. Nature is generative and regenerative. Nature is beauty, beautiful and bountiful, right? It's mighty and majestic. And you are nature, so you too are that. You are that same intelligence. You are that same generative and regenerative power my goodness you can make a baby you can make another life form wow that's like acting like god right Mm -hmm. and creating life so we can do that but we can also heal and regenerate life and so ayurveda is really the study of what your body already knows already knows how to do it's a study of what of nature a botanist might study how can we grow more beautiful flowers So we're studying nature in the same sort of way, but we're studying it in terms of what is its healing capacity. But I think the thing I love most about Ayurveda is that it never says, okay, if you're sick, you're going to need that herb, or if you're sick, you're going to need that kind of massage with these sort of oils. Because if you don't get that, you can't heal yourself, and this is the thing that's healing you. You know, Ayurveda says, it's not the doctor that heals you, or the vaidya that heals you, or the herb that heals you, or even the meal that heals you. You heal you. You are the healer. Right, And it's your consciousness, it's the consciousness within you that is source, that is the healer. So Ayurveda is simply seeking to stimulate that regenerative capacity that you already have within you. And what's beautiful about Ayurveda is that, I was just thinking about this morning, somebody had a post on Instagram, and I was like, Oh, it was a uh, New York Times has just covered a restaurant in in New York that is an Ayurvedic restaurant, and saying it's like the healthiest and most soothing place to eat in all of New York. And I thought, gosh, even just 10 or 20 years ago, they would have been calling us the hippies. You know, Mm. they're like the out there hippies, right? And now it's like the healthiest place and the best place to eat in New York. I mean, wow, what a great, what a great evolution, right? And um, so I think once upon a time, we might have thought of Ayurveda, Ayurveda in terms of my clients was last resort, Mm. at least in the West, obviously not, not in India, but it's like uh, my clients were mostly people who had tried everything and now they were on the doorstep, right, of, you know, they were deep into chronic illness mm-hmm. and now they're coming to me as a last resort. They don't necessarily have a belief in it. They don't necessarily have any lifestyle practices that would support it. And they've tried everything else and they've waited till now and it's really, really hard to help somebody, you know, from that edge. 
to help them back from the edge. We can certainly help a lot. But now what's beautiful is that more and more people are coming to Ayurveda before they get sick. So they're coming for preventive help and wellness. And that's so beautiful because then maybe you don't even ever have to get sick. But if one does get sick, it'll be easier to return them to wellness. So it's beautiful to see that Ayurveda both can work with people who are sick and help restore wellness, but it also helps keep people well and keep them strong and healthy in their body. But I think also what I love too, just a final thing on Ayurveda is it says, you know, I, health is not just the absence of disease. Health, according to Ayurveda, is when we are balanced in the doshas, the energies of the body, strong in the tissues, clear in the mind, and grounded in the heart. That's healthy. And that's that's a good life, right? So they so Ayurveda has, you could say, protocols and solutions for all that ails us, maybe. I shouldn't say all, but most of what ails us, but in, not just physical, but also emotional, mental, and spiritual. Because it addresses the whole person. Mm-hmm. Whole person wellness. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it comes back to that same point too, about chaos, breeding peace and like people getting to the edge with their sickness or something where they, they're just at the very end of their rope and they have to come home to themselves. It's like, how much pressure do you need to finally return home? And then the magic can unfold if we're brave enough to go there. Maybe sometimes it takes a couple lifetimes to get there, but yeah, absolutely. And so how, yeah, if I could just insert this, I also I also want, if anybody's hearing, so there there can be people who are sick and they're just sick because they're sick. They've done nothing wrong. Yeah. And I think it's so, I think the first thing that's important is that we have compassion for all people, whatever they're going through. And then we seek to minimize their suffering. And I'd love Ayurveda for that because I think it's such a compassionate medicine. Um, so yes, let's hope that people also can find, you know, lessons and wisdom and magic in it. But I don't, I think that we only add to the suffering if we add to a person's sense of culpability. I think that's an important thing to, to just be careful with. And I know you're not saying that. I just want to make sure that no one hears that. I am so happy that you're bringing this up because it's something that I'd love to get your insight on because, uh, um, yeah, there's a lot of narrative that I also talk about. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'd love to get some kind of ease around is that we create disease in the body based on our spiritual, mental, overall alignment. And our body gives us signals to say, Hey, you're out of alignment. Like, um, you know, you you're losing your hair or some, or you're getting sick here or something's happening and how we can come back to our spiritual alignment. But I'm so grateful that you're bringing this up because I'd love to hear more about that insight on where disease kind of forms in the body and how we can be more gentle with ourselves and not you know, beat ourselves up if something happens and where do you think it originates and where do you think it comes from? And, and what have you learned about witnessing your clients? So there's a great teacher that I, that I love again from the last century called Sri Aurobindo, whose line I love to quote, he says, you know, you are alive. Yes. To know thyself, but even more than that, you are alive to creatively and consciously participate in the evolution of consciousness itself. He also talked about how we're going to do our work and doing your work, your spiritual work, is a lot like climbing a mountain. In the beginning, it's hard work. It's cold. It's windy. It's maybe wet. You know, you've got your backpack on. You're climbing that mountain. But, you know, then you get maybe above the tree line and you start to get that view and you're inspired. You keep going. You keep going. Get to the top of the mountain. And first, that's a great achievement. 
But the next thing is that then you wait, because then he talks about grace descending. So again, it's that, this is sort of a Shiva Shakti idea, because Shiva's um, the upward moving energy, the aspirational energy, and Shakti is that descending grace. She's often symbolized by the downward pointing triangle. So, you know, we work together and we don't force grace to happen. We can only do our work, but then it's a, it's a, it's a partnership. Um, and I think, I think so you could say the same about where disease comes from. On one level, we've got to do our work. We want to have a, a good life. We want to try to live in balance. On the other hand, we can't punish ourselves if we get sick nonetheless. You know, I know people who have gotten sick because they went to serve their country. They thought they were doing the right thing. They ended up breathing in, you know, these fire pits or nuclear waste that was put on the edge of war, war uh, missiles. I, I think it's just, we just have to be careful about the judgment that comes with suggesting that somebody's done something wrong and that's led to a kind of illness. And just as an example, when I was a child, I mean, was a teenager, I, you know, I, I think I got some anorexia. I don't know if I was deep into it. I was sort of on the edge of it, but I was about 17. And I definitely had anorexia because I was taking on the, the messiness of my own family situation and making it my own and making it my fault. Well, I wasn't going to get better if I continued with that way of thinking. But that is a way that we tend, we can be so self-flagellating. And I think, A, that doesn't help us get better, but B, it is a tendency of our times. And so, you know, it's that balance. We're going to climb the mountain, but then we're going to open to grace. Mm -hmm. And hopefully grace comes, right? And grace might mean, this is one thing that I was taught by my Jyotish teacher, grace might mean letting go and even letting go of this life mm. and allowing that this is what is right now. That's the grace of it. Not whose fault is it, but this is what is right now. And how can I live this with grace? Mm. I'm learning so much, so much higher from you. Mm -hmm. Mind, higher perspective mm. rather than I think it's, it's, I still think even though it's an evolving way of looking at things to, to take responsibility for it. I think the higher evolution is to have compassion, acceptance, and grace. You know, my favorite definition of enlightenment or self-realization is radical self-acceptance. Mm -hmm. Whatever is it is. Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe you don't deserve it. Maybe you did. But how can you be with it now? How can you meet it with loving kindness, with gentleness, without fighting? Let's stop fighting and stop judging because any judgment is a wall of separation. And that, of course, is an illusion because we all come from the same one, right? And we all belong to that same one. Therefore, we're family. So let's love each other and take care of each other. Mm, that feels so much better than, I think, radical self-responsibility and self-reliance, and then shifting that into radical self-acceptance. That feels so much better. I'm really learning so much from you hearing this unfold, because it's something I've been existentially kind of struggling with, I guess. Like I just posted something the other day about how to love ourselves more deeply. And like, number one was abandon all negative self-talk, <laughs> but it's also like comes with 
this disclaimer that even if it comes up, that's okay. Like you're not mm. a bad, it's not your fault. It's not a bad, mm. it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you weak. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. this constant kind of yin and yang marriage act of like taking responsibility and acceptance and then loving yourself um, regardless of what's coming up and just mm-hmm. continuing to come home to yourself. So mm-hmm. yeah, perhaps that's so the wise path. I'm learning that uh, in real time every day. Mm-hmm. Well, I love what you said. And that's such a wise uh, such why such wisdom to share that because then you know if negative self-talk comes up then maybe that's an opportunity for self-hug right, right? there's mm-hmm. an opportunity for some self-compassion wow that's so beautiful i never forget i was i used to live in europe and came back to this to the u.s when i was about 33 moved to la had to get a car i never had a car <laughs> um and so then I really wasn't used to parking meters so i'd put my 25 cent my quarters in you know and i'd fill it up and then I would, I just feel like so often I came back one minute, well, it must've been five or 10 minutes after the meter ran out, got myself a ticket. And every time I got a ticket, it was just bash, bang, you're so dumb. You're so stupid. How can you be the little, blah, blah. and uh, finally one day I got in the car after, you know, my eighth or ninth ticket and I got in the car and I just said, I'm going to try a new approach because this isn't working. I'm still getting tickets. Beating mm-hmm. up on myself is not teaching me. So I tried a new approach. You know, I was like having a conversation with myself, right? There's this part of me that's outside of myself telling me, how about a new approach? And I said, you're so wonderful and so sweet and so kind and so loving. And you've just, this is new to you. You're going to learn. You'll be fine. <laughs> Instantly tears started to flow because to talk to myself in such a loving way was so refreshing. And I never got a ticket again. <laughs> so there was a great that. opportunity for self-love and self-compassion and improvement. <laughs> Totally. I I always remember Louise Hayes quote saying, you know, you've been beating yourself up for so long and it's never worked. It's just like taking a a look empirically back on all of it. It's like, when has it ever worked? It's maybe it's a short, like, you know, pacifier for the deeper pain. It's like, maybe you change a habit for a day or two, but beneath it all, there's not any long lasting change. At least I've found when we use negative reinforcement, it never works. So I love that example of the tickets because that's just, it's so real. It's what we're all unfolding and unraveling. (laughs) Love that. Um, I wanted to ask you too about like nourishment and feeding ourselves and, and recognizing um, how we eat in alignment with our doshas and talk to you more about doshas. So doshas are like, there's vata, pitta, kapha is, am I missing one? Um, No, you're not. That's there's those three, but then you're going to have combinations of them. So how can we get more in tune with our, our type basically intuitively? Like how, how can we start to know our bodies, what we need? Like, how can we lean into intuitive eating and just getting to know our bodies and our vessels more deeply so that we can nourish correctly? So I have a course that I teach every, every year it's in the new year and it's Ayurveda integrative nutrition. And so while I'm teaching people basics of Ayurvedic nutrition and digestion, as well as those who continue on to the second level, Vedic counseling skills. What I what I feel is the most important thing is to to have what's you know this pratyaksha this term that comes from the Yoga Sutras to have your own self knowing that comes from your own personal observations. So in the beginning we start by you know for the first week or two it's just observe the elements and come back and tell us what you've observed and then observe how they affect you. So the elements in Ayurveda are, are space, air, fire, water, earth. What does space feel like to you? What does air feel like to you? Air meaning wind. 
fire. Is fire hot or is it cold? Like, go ahead and allow the obvious. Mm -hmm. Experience it. How does it feel to you? Does heat make you feel better? Does heat make you not feel better? What nourishes, what depletes, what supports, right? What aggravates? And then if you if if you want to lead towards lean into intuitive eating, once you have a sense of that, then you could say, well, how am I feeling today? I'm feeling a lot of space element in me. I'm feeling vast and ungrounded and somewhat fragmented and cold, spacey, right? So then what am I going to need? I'm going to need one of the other elements like fire to warm me, water to soothe, earth to ground. So maybe I'll roast a sweet potato and then I'll add some fire. I'll add some spice to that and some coconut oil for the water element, right? So very simple to just think, how do I feel? I am so hot today. Okay, what would be cooling foods to balance? Cooling foods are, you know, foods like that are in the, in the taste in the category of sweet taste. So that would mean some rice, maybe bitter taste. Maybe you have it with some cooked spinach, right? So you don't even need to have these lists of of space element qualities, doshas, or even the foods. You know, in my book it does have those lists. What's the sweet taste? What's the bitter taste? What are the foods in each of the six tastes. Um, but I think that if you just keep paying attention, how am I feeling? Which of the five elements would I identify that with? Right? If you're feeling waterlogged, you might have asthma, you might have heavy lungs, you might have puffy eyes, you might have sniffles. And so, wow, if you have water, you need to dry yourself out, dry toast, flaxseed, you know, foods that are more on the dry side of, of things. It's that simple. Really. I mean, I always think Ayurveda is so, so simple. What makes it complex, of course, is the application, mm -hmm. right? It's as simple as there's five elements that combine to make three doshas, right? And and then we have six tastes, which each taste is made up of two of the, of the five elements. So each of the tastes will feed those two elements and balance the rest. In other words, if I mentioned sweet taste. Sweet taste is made up of earth and water element, so, of course, it's going to be very grounding, very soothing, right? It'll balance if we're feeling too hot, too air, too space, too fire, too air, too space. Does that help? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. It totally makes sense how this is a <laughs> mindfulness practice. Like, it's just really about getting in tune with our surroundings very consciously. And I think I'd, I'd pigeonholed myself a little bit into identifying as Pitta, but not quite getting that. But um, it, this feels more accessible and like more of a flow to be like, okay, what am I actually feeling? Like I, I am sniffling a little today. I feel a little puffy in my face. Maybe yeah. I need some toast. I love that you just right, said, right. Like, was like, yeah, that sounds right. accurate. And then there have mm -hmm. been cycles where I need a lot of spicy food to like move out heat and like keep my energy flowing and and then I wonder what your insight might be on um, women and menstrual cycles too, because I find that my eating and my flow changes a lot around, you know, just the lunar cycles, my menstrual cycle. Do you find that, um, do you find that our doshas actually kind of change and go in and out or do you think mm -hmm. we, we stick with one? Yeah, that's a great, it's a really important question. Cause I think that's the other thing that makes it confusing. That makes Ayurveda hard for people to really get. I think people are really drawn to knowing which one of the elements am I or which one of the doshas am I? We always love to learn about ourselves and we should because you've been given this instrumentation, right? And we should learn how to use it because when we use it well, right, then we can really live our dharma. So I love that people are curious, but the problem with it is that we then sort of say, okay, now you know you're this, as if that's a fixed state, 
Mm -hmm. Right. And we're always in flow, right? We live in a world that is persistently cyclical, eternally dynamic. Everything is always in motion and flow. And so are the doshas. So there's something that you're going to be, basically, there's a constitution that you've been given, you could say, by birth. It's better to look at it and say, well, you might be three parts vata, four parts pitta, and two parts kapha. So then you're not exact. okay, yes, pitta is the winner there, but you're not denying that there's also some vata and some kapha. Vata is the air and space element, so it's light, subtle, and very mobile. So it's often the quickest and easiest and first to move out of balance. We live in a very vata deranging or stimulating world. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us might have vata, pitta, or kapha body types, but very vata minds or very vata lifestyle. So any one of the doshas can go out of balance, no matter what your prakriti is. Prakriti is your mind-body constitution that you've had since birth. But there's another word, vikriti, which is the what is the balance or imbalance of today? Didn't get enough sleep. You've been eating crackers. But I don't know, you've been working really hard. So all you're eating is popcorn and crackers for, for a little while. <laughs> and it's winter time, which is already dry season, right? So you're going to derange your vata, even if you're kapha or pitta. So then the first thing you say is, what do I need? I need more warm water. I might need a little bit more healthy fats and oils, right? And so that water will absorb and hold. Um, yeah, so that's why with Ayurveda, it's really about knowing that we're always in flow, we're always fluctuating, and we're just always seeking to get back to balance. And sometimes it's a tweak, sometimes it's something, you know, more serious, right? Paying attention. That's why I love to just pay attention to the five elements, not even the three doshas, but the five elements. Am I feeling spacey? Am I feeling too windy, restless, and too much in motion? Am I feeling too hot? Am I feeling waterlogged? Or am I feeling stuck? Right. Mm -hmm. And then which ones of those other elements am I going to need? And how do I get it? Do I need a deep breath? Do I need to go for a walk? Right. It isn't always food, but if it's food, if it's a meal time, what would be the meal that would most balance me right now? And then thinking about the seasons, because the seasons themselves can imbalance us. Mm -hmm. Right. This is, you know, now we're talking where I am, it's winter. Uh, winter is vata season because it's cold, it's dry. We move into kapha a little bit later in winter when get heavy snows or more rains. Um, but in the season where things are cold, dry, excessively mobile, you know, the invitation is to come inward, light a fire, hang out with your friends, share a cup of tea, warmth, right, liquid, touch. Mm -hmm. These are all the things that help to balance the season and the foods that we are used to in the winter is, well, the farmers had to put the food away for storage, right? Because we didn't have the fresh foods. So they, they would store grains. They would ferment foods, both the dairies and the cabbage, you know, the different foods. They would smoke or cure foods, but or they'd have the root vegetables that could be stored long term. But most of those things required some form of cooking. Fermentation is a form of cooking. Mm -hmm. um, Roasting vegetables, cooking grains are forms of cooking. And then that will bring the warmth in, also the hardiness in that grounds us, right? And if we add a little bit of spice to that, we help our digestion. And that's how we, we want it. That's just one example of eating seasonally. So each season, if we look at how our grandparents, great grandparents, how our ancestors ate seasonally, 
There's wisdom in that for us. It's not the season to be grabbing something out of the refrigerator or running too quickly to the deli and having them make you a sandwich or grabbing a cold pasta. This is the season for something warm. And if you have to eat on the go, at least try to make it a soup, you know, or a stew or something warming. Hmm. That's so helpful. I feel like you just lifted the veil back on this because I think it's easy to compartmentalize too much. And it's just like, okay, holistically, how are we feeling <laughs> leaning into yeah. that? I love that so yeah. much. And how um, do people who lived close to nature, how did they do it? Mm-hmm. Because that's that's as recent as our grandparents or our great-grandparents, mm-hmm. right? They had that wisdom. And that's really what Ayurveda is teaching us. Totally. How do we work with nature. Yeah. And indigenous wisdom too, I feel like can really come out there. I mean, that's a whole nother topic about how the world I hope is shifting toward indigenous remembrance and coming back to the earth with what they have always known and shared. But um, I think Mm -hmm. my last question for you is, is there anything that you're reading, watching, learning that you're really interested in right now? That's at the top of your mind. Any, any books at the top of your list? Oh, I wish I had the books with me. I just read a great book by Claire Keegan and it has nothing to do with Ayurveda, but Uh, It's called Small Things Like These. And I recommend it for everyone because it's, it is, it is yogic Ayurvedic in the certain way that there's such a tenderness to it. She's taught the the messages of the book are this person sort of coming to terms, I think, with his own life and how he was raised and, and, and becomes, does something, you know, really heroic against the convention of society at the end, but just, by small kindnesses. He just acknowledges the small kindnesses that lead to a life. Oh, so beautiful. That tenders. The writer's awareness, right, is very yogic, very much aware of the detail, aware of the little things that add up to a full life. Mm. So that's a good book. I always love, um, what's the braiding, braiding sweet grass? I love that book mm-hmm. so much. It's not a new book. Um but I think there's talk about indigenous wisdom, great, beautiful wisdom in it for all of us. And then my friend Ananta just wrote a book called The Way of the Goddess, which I recommend to all. Mm. That's a beautiful book about um, working with the chakras, each as a representation of one of the different goddesses mm. and looking at the goddess way, the divine mother, the divine feminine's way of building strength, building courage, building sweetness, building love, and sort of living, you can almost say, a, a brave, a courageous life. Hmm, that sounds really good. Especially I find that so many of the women in my community and our community are in a very kind of patriarchal mindset. A lot of the times are just masculine. So I love that idea of flowing more into goddess awareness and goddess consciousness and activating your chakras like that. Beautiful. I'm gonna have to check. Well, out. If we're going to throw off the, the colonizer mindset and mm-hmm. embrace welcome and truly honor the indigenous cultures and their great wisdom uh, then we would embrace the Divine Mother. There's research that shows that in the pre-Iron Age, people lived from India to Western Ireland. All people everywhere lived in harmony, in peace. They weren't warring nations. They weren't fighting each other. They were actually quite civilized and cultured nations, or peoples, you could say. And they had one thing in common, and that was worship of the Divine Mother. Mm. So it is our way. It is the way. Yeah. Not because not because we want a feminized patriarchal sort mm-hmm. of patriarchy, but just put in a woman. And no, it's because, as Jermaine Greer once said a long time ago, the opposite of patriarchy is not matriarchy, but it is brotherhood. It's coming together, working together in a sisterhood or brotherhood. And that's what the Divine Mother 
meant. In worshiping the Divine Mother, we lived closer to nature, we lived in harmony with nature, we lived in harmony with one another. These were egalitarian societies. No one was better than the other. Everything, every life form was honored and appreciated. And hopefully you and the people you work with can be, you know, the the leading edge, the wave that remembers and brings that back. Love that. Exactly. You took the words right out of my, my mind there, remembering who we really are. It's like this ancient wisdom coming back up in like this kind of cyclical nature, I think. Beautiful. Well, Laura, how can people get to know you more deeply and work with you? Maybe join a workshop. How can we find you? My favorite movie when I was young was The King and I. She sings, getting to know you. <laughs> That's what always comes to mind. Getting to know all about <laughs> you. Um, you know, my website is lauraplum.com. I post on Instagram a lot at Laura Plum, P-L-U-M-B. So it's deep rather than the fruit, although both are good. <laughs> P-L-U-M-B, the plum line. And yeah, I have a, I have, I do Jyotish consults and Ayurveda consults, and I do a lot of classes on Ayurveda and Jyotish. And it would be fun to welcome some of your followers into the, into the fold. But Again, I want to tell you, I so honor and love what you do. You are such a great voice for this great wisdom. So thank you so much for your participation in the evolution of consciousness itself. (laughs) Laura, thank you so much. I feel like I just went through a master. All right, my friends, thank you so much for being here and joining us today. I hope you're feeling inspired and lifted and called to action in some area of your life. As always, if you enjoyed and you learned something from this episode, please do send it along to a friend who might benefit from it. And uh, you can even leave a review if you feel called. I'd be so grateful. Um, And then everything we discussed is linked in the description below. So check that out for more details couple more notes on my end I'm running full moon circles every month on the evening of the full moon so if you are looking for sisterhood community just a way to deepen your experience of life this is a great way to just relax and come together so links in the description below of course and then everything else is on HelenDenham.com. I am putting up new blog posts quite frequently I send out newsletters a few times a week with oracle cards and energy checks and offerings and um, I love that way of connecting with you guys. So yeah, just head over to HelenDenham.com. All the juice is there. (laughs) All right, guys, thank you so much for being here. I love you so much. I'm so grateful for you. It's an honor to, to touch base with you like this every week. So enjoy the rest of your day, your evening, your week, wherever you are. And I will talk to you on the next one. Bye for now.